0: My best friend
1: has fuzzy hair My best friend walks
2: with a tail in the air My Welcome to friend. Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats and dogs. The human-animal bond is what this show is all about. Finding authors and experts to talk about cats, dogs, and the many other creatures who share our world. This is listener supported WLIW FM, Long Island's only NPR station in Southampton, serving Eastern Long Island and Southern Connecticut over the air at 88.3 and at 96.9 in Western Suffolk. This is where I originated the show and have never missed a week for 14 years. At RadioPetLady.com, there's a podcast library with more than 750 episodes, along with my other Pet Talk podcast shows. Dog Talk is a production of Pet Media Inc., which is solely responsible for its content. This show is made possible with the support of Dr. Elsie's Precious Cat, the privately-owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian in Colorado, where he created a variety of litters as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also brought to you by Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes and cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. My guests today are Liz Edelin from Subaru, talking about their love promise to the rescues of New York at the auto show at the Jacob Javits Center, Alex Kava will be here with her newest novel, Fallen Creed, and Carol Borden will be here talking about winning the VETI Award two years in a row because of the suicide prevention for veterans that her nonprofit, Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs, has been able to achieve. I am so excited I get to meet a woman, really integral part of Subaru, Subaru and Dogs, I'm sure you've all seen the ads. Are they not the best ever? And I live in Vermont where the uh, state car is pretty much a Subaru. I have one. My dogs love it. But Liz Edelin is the Subaru Love Promise Community Commitment Manager, which is a mouthful, but I think it really encapsulates what Subaru has been doing. Maybe many of us didn't know it in supporting a lot of community efforts that have to do with love and Liz, it's wonderful to meet you and great to have you on the show. And it must be a pretty great job to go to work every day knowing you're spreading love. I mean, you're kind of the Valentine, aren't
1: you? (laughs) Thanks, Tracy. I'm so happy to be here. Yes, I really do appreciate the job that I have. I work with a number of our nonprofit partners. Um, So I not only work at Subaru, but I get to see all of the work that they do in their local communities as well and all of the impact that we're making in people's lives. And it's just a really great feeling when you're able to come to work and do that every day. I I
2: can well imagine, but the the way that I've had the pleasure of meeting you and getting you on the show is the the amazing events, multiple events that you carried on at the Jacob Jabbits Convention Center in New York City, one of the most, I think, difficult places to navigate to or within. During Mm -hmm. the auto show, you had multiple New York City area-based dog rescues coming to your booth and... Bringing adoptable dogs with them, you obviously think big at Subaru. If someone said that idea to me, I think that sounds way too complicated. And you, <laughs> you did it. And and did you? Were you not daunted by this idea of? Hmm. Let's see. We've got all these rescues, and they've got to coordinate how to get to the Javits Center, how to park, which has been made on purpose nearly impossible, and bring dogs, foster dogs, rescue dogs into the building to come to the Subaru booth and find new homes, this seemed to me like a very big idea. And weren't there people who said, nah, that won't work?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, there's always going to be both sides of the coin. So we started out small when we first started doing adoption events at auto shows. Um, We only did them, you know, a few shifts throughout the auto show just to see how Uh, the animals would do, the organizations would do. And over time, we had such positive feedback that we knew we had to keep going and we had to do even more. So uh, over the past few years, we started doing this back in 2018. And over the past few years, it has grown so much. And you are right that logistically, it can be a challenge, but we work really closely with all of the auto show organizations that put everything together so that we can coordinate with the organizations, how they're going to bring the animals in, where they need to go. Uh, Yes, it can be challenging, but it is something that uh, we work really closely with the organization at the auto show, with the local animal organizations together to kind of bring it all to life. Um, And this past season, which I should say an auto show season is you know, starting in the fall, ending in the spring and summer. It's not your calendar year oh, I season. See. Um, but we've actually partnered with 34 auto shows, including New York International Auto Show.
2: Wow. And all of them you had dogs?
1: Yes, we did. Oh,
2: my it's- gracious. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. Yes. It's an important piece for us. Um, not only does it draw people to our auto show booth, of course, because there's an experience where you can actually meet an animal and have Uh, their really warm, fuzzy feeling of of petting an animal while you're there. Uh, But it's also kind of highlighting all of those organizations and bringing into the fold all of the animals that are available for adoption and all of the needs that these organizations have, which is such an important piece for us to highlight locally at the shows.
2: I'm so impressed. Uh, My New York Dog Film Festival, which... Travels the country. Well, pre COVID, it traveled to over mm-hmm. 100 cities. I had the same idea, way smaller than you, which was to partner in each city with a, a rescue I would choose because they were organized and legit and did their work well. And they would help promote it and they would get 10% of every ticket. And it was a love fest. And then COVID came along. So we'll see what happens. But I will say that. The, the groups that you chose in New York City for the Javits Center, which was five or six, that mm-hmm. I am immediately, and I'll be talking to her soon, thought that, that the New York City Second Chance Rescue just looked incredible, foster-based, and then they raised the money to build a place out in Westchester. And I thought, isn't this amazing that you have this belief at Subaru of trickle-down of goodness? Because... Your relationship is quite renowned with the A, as it's called, the ASPCA, which is both mm-hmm. New York City-based, but it's a national organization. You've given them $30 million. I have to say, Liz, that's a lot of spare change to promote the work that they do nationwide and even, I guess, on some levels worldwide. And yet you go to the extra trouble of finding all these other groups, smaller groups, more struggling or, or just tinier and you shine a light on them. And it's just, to me, quite extraordinary as a corporate mentality that this is what you want to do. It's it's very touching. I mean, you're supposed to be selling cars, right? It's, and you're very good at that. I mean, people, who doesn't love Subaru, honestly? But you're doing all this other goodness layered on top of it. And it can't just be for marketing or, you know, a feel-good feeling. It's genuine. To, to be part of communities and raise them up, whatever the, the good works that they're doing.
1: Thank you. So we have our Subaru Love Promise, which is really our vision. Of how we treat our customers and how we treat people with respect and it's also how we support our communities and how we give back to the organizations where our customers and our employees live and work and so the Subaru loves pets initiative has really existed informally for over 20 years yes Uh, but it was about 15 years ago that we started our partnership with the ASPCA and that is through our Subaru share the love event so you're right we have this really wonderful relationship with them that we we've had over the years. Um, and we also have a component where our Subaru retailers who are independently owned and operated from us actually participate in our Subaru Loves Pets month program. Uh, we have 97% of our retailers that support Subaru Loves wow. Pets and they locally have relationships with their animal shelter partners and other organizations that they support locally. So that felt like the right connection for us, especially related to the auto shows since they're in specific cities around the country, looking at, you know, which organizations our retailers are partnering with and how can we support them and really shine a light on them within the show uh, to really let people know, you know, these organizations are here. They have adoption, Uh, They have animals available for adoption. And, you know, that is something that we can help bring together, bring people who are looking for a companion animal and bring the animals out of the shelter. But there's also the component of all of the other things that the organizations do. Like you were just saying, um, you know, there's, there's more than that. And so, Getting people involved and aware of the local animal organizations in their community is very important because honestly, not everyone is able to adopt at any given point in time, right? right? So, Mm -hmm, I live in a small apartment personally, and uh, I have a cat, and it's enough space for two of us, no more. But (laughs) there's there's other ways that you can give back to these organizations. It could be volunteering with them. Some of them need help walking dogs or cleaning cages or doing laundry, Um, some of them are foster-based organizations. So you can bring animals into your home and support the organization that way. Or, of course, monetary donations or donations of actual items that they need, whether that's uh, pet food, pet supplies, different things like that. And I think those are kind of all pieces that come together in our support. Well,
2: the other thing which impressed me a great deal when I, I jumped on the website the Subaru Love Promise. And Mm -hmm. I discovered that it isn't just, okay, you love dogs, the cars are great for dogs, and people with dogs love them, and everybody loves dogs. It's that you're doing... I mean, you know, it's like it's just like such a perfect story in a sense, but you're doing all these other good deeds in communities. And one of the things that I stress on this show is that while I can spend weeks and hours talking about, ooh, the importance of high-quality pet food... I worry about the fact that there's so many hungry humans, so many hungry human children, so many unsheltered humans, and there's so much sadness and frustration and challenges in lives of humans. And it's really important for us to remember that some of the positive attitudes and actions that we take for animals, if we could just extend that a little bit to other people, a little compassion, a little inclusion, a little non-judgmental non-criticism. It would go a long way and it seems that the Subaru love promise community commitment manager which is your job, it's about co- commitment to the community, not just to what's good for Subaru in its marketing with dogs, if you know what i mean. It's it seems much more deeply generous and genuine. At least that's That's the way the website felt to me. And it seems like in talking to you, that's what you feel your job is too.
1: Yes. I'm glad you had that experience from the website because that is true. And you're right. So we do feature dogs in our commercials and in other content and really because uh, it's fun. It's entertaining. Yes. People connect really well with it. But we also feature dogs related to our promotion of underdogs and dogs who yes. are harder to adopt. Yes. So there's that portion of it, but it's not just supporting animals. We do have other initiatives where we support the environment, education, health and wellness, Uh, Hunger and and all of these different things because, to your point um, at Subaru, we don't just have one area of focus, we have multiple areas that you know our communities are very versatile and there are a number of problems and challenges. We can't solve every single one of them, but we can help in certain ways within those initiatives.
2: Do you hope that people, is there some corporate hope if there's such a thing as capital C, capital H, corporate hope? When people learn more about this deep ethical moral culture, let's call it, of Subaru, that more people will want to buy a Subaru, it seems kind of funny because if somebody wants the cars that Subaru makes, they really want those cars anyway, don't they? I mean, it's not going to change your mind, probably. Oh, I'll buy Subaru because they're such a fine company. Or do you think that it does? I mean, people certainly make other choices about ethical moral politically, you know, sort of awakened companies that care a lot about a lot of things. Do you think that it affects people's choice of car?
1: I think so. And in general, we're seeing a lot with younger generations, especially looking at the companies that they support. And a lot of different statistics nowadays will tell you that uh, they are socially conscious. And so they're looking at the products that they buy. They're looking at you know, what those organizations are doing in their own communities. And it's not just younger people, but a lot of the statistics are much higher for that age group. Uh, that's a but really is, good
2: point. It's a good point yeah. because I come from a much older generation that's laced with cynicism and and doubts about that. But every single thing that happens in the pet industry, I'm which is the industry that I'm immersed in, I'm told all the time, they refer to them as millennials, the younger generation. But I don't think anybody knows exactly what that catchphrase is, but we do mean people, you know, under 40 or under 35. And there it, there really does seem to be a serious attention to how products are made, how companies are run, what they do and how they do it. And yay, thank you younger people for holding us all to a higher standard. And Subaru obviously got on board that train a long time ago. It wasn't mm-hmm. a reaction to what people Were responding to and wanting, but you were already there. You were already in that space zooming along there. So that that has to be good too. You don't have to do a big corporate rethink or rebranding in order to embrace communities and everything that that might mean.
1: Right. And the difference is exactly what you're saying. Subaru has been doing work in the community since we've existed. And so it's just over time that we've kind of talked about it a little bit more. And right. Subaru Loves Pets is a great example. That phrase, Subaru Loves Pets, didn't exist until a few years ago, but we had been supporting animals for decades. So, yes. you know, over time, I think it, it is important for companies in general, not just Subaru, um, to be talking about what we're doing, because how would people know That's otherwise? That's exactly like you, you right. You were saying, you know, people look at, okay, our product itself, is it safe, is it reliable? Is it something that they want to own from a practical perspective, right? Yep. So then there's all these other components to the companies that we support in general. And again, how would anybody know that we're supporting animals unless we talk about it?
2: And that's exactly the reason that I feel so glad to have found you and met you and that you're doing this auto show thing that that you obviously do for many, many months of the year in many, many cities. But to have a chance to, from my perspective, say, yay, you know, wave a flag, do a cheerleading dance, because sometimes the most philanthropic companies are the most humble. And I don't think that humble pie is what you should be eating. I think you should be crowing, Mm -hmm. honestly, blowing a trumpet, because we all need to know that. I think it lifts everybody up to know all the lifting up that you guys are doing. So... We've run out of time, Liz Edelin, but it's just wonderful to meet you, and I hope to be doing some projects myself in the future with Subaru to the best of my ability to help further what you're doing. I think it's terrific. Thank you for being
1: here. Thank you for having me, Tracy. I really appreciate it.
2: This show is brought to you in part by Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, where they are still making natural pet food. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and to the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. This show is also supported by Cradle, calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. Alex Kava is back, back on our show and back on the bookshelves. Her newest writer creed book, these incredible suspense novels with the world's most darling book dog, in this case, on the case, Fallen Creed, which follows the previous book hidden creed that i somehow missed during the pandemic so alex oh my god i mean you just never stop these are these big fat juicy fascinating gripping riveting you can't put them down books and i had to read two of them back to back and i'm just like having nightmares well not really but they're so good it just seems like you've written so many of them already but do you feel like you've hit your stride and there's just no stopping you? It feels to me like a, like a thoroughbred racehorse just galloping along. That's what it feels like to me.
3: Well, that's the exciting part um, about the dogs, because I don't think that I can run out of ideas. <laughs> they they really make it easy on me and they really are the stars of this series. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking about this. The last time we talked, I think was pre-pandemic. That's right. And, um, I had written a book back in 2015, 2016, I think it was uh, released, and it was the same dogs, Grace and Company, and Ryder Creed had trained them for searching out the bird flu virus. Oh, Because right. there was a pandemic, yeah. And, I mean, how scary is that, that fast forward. That's right. Um, and only so many years, four years, and here we are with dogs, and this is exciting. There's a company called Biodetection Canine that are actually training dogs to sniff out COVID-19, uh, and they've been doing it since last fall. They've been traveling with um, MBR, uh, I'm sorry, MBA teams and um, musicians like Eric Church and Metallica. Really? And they, yeah, they were using them to sniff out, you know, the local crews. Um and no it was kidding. it was funny because uh they were they were saying that um there was a, a local crew that said, oh no, we've already uh, been tested and we're okay. And one of the dogs kept insisting that two of the guys were not okay. Whoa. And
2: so they got tested again and sure enough, they were positive. So how cool is that? Whoa. Well, you know, some of these things that they say dogs can smell, like for example, cancer, you think, yeah, maybe some of them could be trained, but oh my God, there's so many different kinds of cancer. And how does it express itself? But it turns out to really be true. In, well, it was true in all these situations, but they've now come up with a covid breath test right for humans instead of yeah. sticking a swab yeah. up your nose well these dogs were on to that a long time ago and exactly. and you're so exactly. aware of what dogs can do professionally professional dogs that you're you're always a, really a step ahead of everybody else how wild that a that a rock band would be using dogs instead of swabs or whatever other I ways. Know, right. Isn't that amazing? Well, one of the things that's incredible in Fallen Creed, and I know that your research is so meticulous that although many of these things are stranger than, than truth, right? Fiction being stranger oh, than. Absolutely. But the fact absolutely. that Grace can sniff out the memory card in cell phones and devices. Now, when did you learn about that? Because it's a great a great driver of the plot, how she finds these hidden, keep, you know, memory sticks and so forth. How did you learn that that was something a dog could be trained for?
3: Well, they started doing that. And it, it, maybe you remember a guy named Jared Foley, who was the subway spokesperson. He lost a bunch of weight um, oh, by just eating subway sandwiches.
2: Oh, and then he was goodness. convicted
3: of having child pornography. Oops. That was how they convicted him is that they have trained these dogs to search out these electronics devices. And it's very tricky because they can hide them anywhere. And detectives can go in with whatever mechanical things that they think that they have, and they can't find anything. And then they'll bring the dog in, and the dog will find something. And in Jared Polin's case, um, that's how they convicted him, was the dog came in at the last resort, and found this this little bitty SIM card that was stuck in between like memo pads, mm-hmm. and the, the dog kept kept um, alerting and alerting, and, and his handler kept saying, "I don't see it, I don't see it, show me." Poked her nose. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't remember if it was a her or a him. Poked the nose to the to the uh, memo pads, and sure enough, it was tucked in in there. And uh, the very first two dogs that they trained for ele- electronic devices, um, were Selma and Thoreau in, um, oh gosh, I think it was Connecticut and they were dropouts for, um, guides for the blind oh because they were too energetic. God. They were too energetic. They tried, they were, they were flunk- They flunked out they flunked out of, uh, of, uh, training to be for, um, the blind and a, um, a guy in for the Connecticut police, I can't remember if it was state police, I believe it was state police, took these two dogs, Selma and Thoreau, and he, he was the first one to train them. And I can't remember what year that was. It's not a very uh, long ago process. They've just started doing this. Um, but it, it's so exciting. It's, we, we just got a dog here in Omaha named Pearl, and she can sniff out um, uh, handgun residue. Really, which means that if uh, if there's been if there's been a, a suspect who tossed his gun, she can smell it on him before they even take him down to um, arrest him. So um, yeah, it's really exciting the things that dogs um, are able to uh, to do and 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 help in such a capacity that we would never have ever imagined. And it's not just in law enforcement either; it's in other things like you said in cancer research, right? And, medical, um, you know, for epilepsy. And or like all COVID, as
2: you pointed out. Oh, I yeah, guess that's yeah. what's thrilling about about the the Creed book, spelt C-R-E-E-D, which is his last name, the, the main protagonist, is that you find these nuggets of information and you weave them into your plot. And in a funny sort of way, once we believe you, the author, the storyteller, about something that's arcane or hard to believe, but it's clearly true, We'll go along with anything else you put in that book. At least I will. Like, I mean, there was one point, and maybe you explained it, and I was just gobbling the book too quickly. And I this is not a spoiler alert, because when you read Fallen Creed, you're going to forget this question that I'm going to ask because you'll be so caught up sure. in the first, first part of the story, which is about runaway teenage girls who are manipulated by a, a masterful, horrible man. But how how did... Ryder get out of the zip ties in the kitchen when he's in the trailer in the snow? You didn't explain how he could sit at the table or maybe you did and I missed it. And I thought, well, I'll just ask her. And so that people understand it is so full of twists and turns. And you're just sort of there with the characters like, what would I do if I was on the ground in a horrible trailer and I was zip tied and my dog had been injured and I'm injured. And then he's sitting up at the table. So. I thought, well, it's is this willing suspension of disbelief, you know, and I'm just going to go along with Alex Kava and just believe this.
3: There actually is a thing, and uh, and it does work. Um, and as a Marine, I figured that he would he would know this. I think I, I think I explained it in more detail in Hidden Creed because he's zip tied there
2: too. Oh, that's if, right. If, if
3: you're if you're zip tied and you have your wrists side by side, balled up side by side, that when you put them facing wrist to wrist. You can you can you can you loosen it enough that you can come yes,
2: out of it. you did have an in-hidden increase. See, that's the thing about being an Alex Kava follower, and okay. you have an enormous fan base. I mean, you do something which is just coming back to mind that I think will fascinate um, listeners, which is you have fan lunches or dinners or conventions oh. where people sign up and they get your latest book and they get to meet you and talk to you, and it's so real and so you know, connected to the woman who creates these characters and obviously loves the dogs in all the books. You're still, I guess you couldn't do that during the pandemic, but I mean, I, no, obviously yeah. people that are good readers of Alex Cava would have remembered that, you know, they, they know everything about the past of all the characters, which means you have to be on your toes too, right? You can't just make up new We've stuff. We've tried really
3: hard. We, In fact, we, uh, we scheduled lunches for the last two falls and we had to cancel both of them. And, and this last one was particularly um, just kind of heart wrenching because we were all looking so forward. And then when Delta struck, yes, I just I just couldn't in good faith have people coming from across the country and, and taking those sort of chances. So, you know, we, we had, you know, close to 200 people that were signed up for the luncheon, even in a pandemic situation. And wow. I just said, no, guys. We really can't do this. And we don't make any money off of this. This is really just for the readers. But when we do have to cancel, we do lose money. And of that, course, because so you had the it, booking. Uh, yeah, and I just, I felt bad because there were people who had, um, you know, already booked their flights and stuff. And and uh, I just said, I just can't in good conscience do that. And I don't, we're not going to plan on this fall either. We're going to really? give it a break. And Yeah, I just, I just don't, I still don't trust it. I still don't feel good about it. And I don't want to put anybody in any it, it would it would break my heart if somebody came to Omaha and came to a luncheon and ended up getting sick. So we we'll probably we'll start up again probably in twenty twenty three and do
2: it again. Well maybe you can do two in twenty twenty three. Because I can imagine possibility. Yeah, I, I just from reading the books, I can just imagine how thrilling it is for people who've, now, the number of books you've written, the Creed series is long enough, but the Maggie O'Dell series, I mean, it takes all the fingers on both hands and then all the, the, the toes <laughs> on both feet. You are so prolific, but it must be thrilling to readers who followed your work and follow your characters to get to meet you and mingle with you and talk to other People who adore the writer. I mean, Stephen King has a fan base of apparently there's chat rooms of people who love Stephen King and chat to each other about, well, why did this happen and how did that work? And what about this character? Do you have that as well? Is there an online world of Alex Kava fans? We do on Facebook. We
3: have a uh, uh, what we call our VIR, Very Important Reader um, (laughs) uh, Club. And it's a, it's a Facebook page. You can come to it. Um, you, you do have to be uh, given permission to come on uh, so that we can talk about just books and, and not be bothered with a lot of the other stuff. And I think, uh, I think we're up to about uh, 800 um, on there. And then on my, um, on my website, you can come and become a member and you get my newsletters that I, I put out every, every month. Um, and it's kind of fun because I try really hard to to have some of the behind the scenes information about the dogs and and about the characters and just different things. But you know what always surprises me, Tracy, is when when we do have the luncheons or we do get together and how these people come together and they're just so excited to talk yes. about the characters. Yes. And I sort of have to remind them these people aren't real, <laughs> <laughs> but it is fun. And at, at the um, at the last luncheon before we before COVID broke out. We even had um, um, a, a group, a woman who came who brought a medical alert dog who's in training, and it was so much fun because the dog was was just so chill and sitting at her feet, and meeting everybody, and uh, and she she you know that's part of their training is right. to have to be around people. So um, so the, the readers get to do that too. And we had a um, one of the one of my guests was a um when she and i met we she was a district prosecutor here in omaha she's one of the first women and she's now a district court judge nice and she has helped me come up with a lot of a lot of the crimes in my books i don't really know if I've ever told you this no but they're real i mean they're based on real they feel very real even In Fallen Creed, the the body parts that they find, um, unfortunately, is from a case that happened here in Nebraska in 2017. And it was a horrific case. Um, It was one of those things where um, they met online and they convinced this young woman to come party with them. And they killed her and dismembered her and scattered her parts along gravel roads out in the middle of Nebraska.
2: Well, I will um, say that and- what you came up with as the motivation for dismemberment in black trash bags in Fallen Creed is a lot more interesting than that. I mean, that's just gruesome. It, the, the interplay yeah. of the characters in Fallen Creed, the twistedness of the bad guys and the, and the worry and nervousness and fingernail chewing of the good guys as they can't <laughs> find each other and they're, you know, worried for each other's wellness – as well as as Ryder Creed's sister who was a victim of having been kept for was it 20 years 16 years as a it's prisoner and now years, she's yeah. loose and so she's got she's freed I should say and and with his family but her PTSD and her old anxieties are also real and and it's it's very engaging and very hard to forget that they aren't real people. Now, I had set aside <laughs> time for you to read, and I forgot to save time for it. Can you read that one section about Grace, oh, the sure. wonderful little, um, the wonderful little Jack Russell Terrier, who is the, the the genius of the book?
3: Absolutely, absolutely, and that's that's one of the things that I love about the books too is that it gives me a chance to. Not just work on the relationships between Dog and, and Handler, but the relationships between the people, too. Yes. Um, the, this chapter here is, is right after they have found out that a young woman has gone missing. Yes. And they need to try and find her. Creed expected this search to be short. It quickly became a reminder of why it was better if Handlers knew very little about the victim or the investigation. Human suppositions, preconceived notions, and expectations were all too easy to insert and influence the scent dog. Just because Creed knew Libby Holmes had disappeared without a word and without her vehicle, he had already anticipated that she had to have left with someone. No way the woman simply walked these gravel roads and expected to get somewhere. That was what he presumed had happened, but Grace didn't take him down the driveway, She didn't head toward the road at all. Instead, she immediately took off in the opposite direction toward a cornfield. Not just a cornfield, but what looked like miles and miles of field. Halfway there, she stopped and circled around. Even then, Creed still believed she might simply choose a different path that would lead to the road. Nope. She poked at the air and waved her nose up and down. She surprised him again and started loping toward the barn. The whole time Creed followed, he avoided looking over his shoulder to locate the gravel road and recalculate his route. Then it occurred to him. Was it possible someone met her out in the barn? Maybe they didn't want to be seen by anyone driving by. They could have pulled their vehicle into the breezeway. The huge doors were slid open, and Creed could easily see the space was empty now. That could explain why Grace might track Libby to the barn, but not to the driveway. Her scent would have ended as soon as she climbed into a vehicle waiting for her inside the barn. But Creed was wrong again. Instead of trotting into the breezeway, Grace darted around back and headed behind the barn. She weaved through the opening of a fenced area the wooden gate left hanging on one hinge. The section about 50 feet squared... Looked like it used to be a vegetable garden, now gone to feed. Dried stalks poked up out of the weeds. Fallen leaves from more than one season stuck to the bottom of a wire fence. In several places, the wire had rusted and come loose from support posts. A flash of purple caught Creed's eye. He stepped carefully until he was close enough to identify it. A woman's scarf was tied around the top of a post. The soft material waved in the breeze, very much out of place in this deserted garden. Creed glanced around to find Grace, waiting patiently. She stood next to a dip in the soil where the weeds had recently only sprouted again. They grew much shorter than the rest of the area. She looked up at him and met his eyes. She alerted, but she wasn't alerting to what Creed had asked her to find. There was something else here something for someone.
2: And we are going to leave right now with you guys hanging on hooks, on tenter hooks, so you can go out and get your own copy of Fallen Creed and the book before it, Hidden Creed by Alex Kava. Alex, thanks for being here in these wonderful books. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This show is supported by Earth Animal, privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creating holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. This show is also sponsored by the two women who privately own Evermore Pet Food, where they cook dog food from human edible ingredients shipped in frozen pouches directly to people's doors. I am here to celebrate Carol Borden. She's my co-host on this show. She's a trainer who created and runs Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs, and they have just won such a prestigious national award. And this being May, the Mental Health Month, I wanted to talk for a minute with Carol both about the dogs who help with suicide prevention and other mental health issues and ways in which we can maybe be good dogs to our friends and family members and maybe recognize some of the symptoms that the dogs do. Carol, this was quite a wonderful surprise for you. You were in the middle of having a career day weekend, bringing all kinds of great new staff into Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs. And at the last minute, they told you you had to get somebody out to Las Vegas to accept this award. Tell a little bit about what the award is about.
0: Well, um, the award is for people that do work that contributes to stopping suicides, And so uh, we were a finalist for a Suicide Prevention Award. Um, We sent one of our representatives out to Las Vegas to um, be there for Guardian Angels. And we ended up winning it, which was uh, an enormous honor, uh, really an enormous recognition to the service dog industry. Uh, for the work that we do, you know, an awful lot of people that come to us have already had multiple attempts uh, at suicide. It's a very, very serious issue. Uh, as most people know, we do a lot of work with our veterans and our veterans commit uh, suicide up to 22 a day. There's about 39 attempts with about 22 of those being successful every wow. day. What a lot of people don't realize is that our um, police forces and and EMS, our our first responders, they actually have very similar statistics, but you don't hear as much about it as you do with uh, the veterans. And with that being said, I think it's very reasonable to assume that the suicide rate in our citizens is very comparable. There's just no one really keeping tight statistics
2: on that. that so, that's a very good point. Who's counting yeah, so, and and who is admitting to or making it clear that this is how someone's life ended?
0: Exactly. And some people talk about it and they really put it out there to let the world know this is what happened. This is what wrong. What went wrong? What could we have done to help them? They create funds and charities and so forth. But what we have done in um, the work that we do with our dogs is we actually teach skills to the dogs where they can interrupt destructive behaviors uh, in the person. Just like we teach a redirect in the dog, the dog does a redirect on their human. And so when... Yeah, so when the person is in... A dark place, um, having a problem, uh, any kind of issues. The dog interrupts. You know, there's a lot of ways they do that. Um, it may be where they actually, you know, come put their paws up on the person. They get very persistent. Um, they're they're very
2: insistent on <clears throat> getting that person's attention. <clears throat> when you say a dark place, I'm, I'm interested to know. Is it, I mean, how does the dog pick up on it? When we have depression, we humans, do we give off an odor, a pheromone like we do when we're nervous or frightened that, that is, clear. Yes. you know, in an exam room at a, at a university, apparently the room can smell terrible or weird or different because everybody is putting off that odor, that anxiety or fear odor. Is there an odor that goes along with depression or even sinking deeper into depression?
0: Um, I think that um, there are some studies out there where we know in certain instances cortisol levels go out of normal range, oxytocin levels go out of normal range. I can't say for a fact that that is always the case. Right. I'm not a scientist in that uh, regard, but I can tell you the dogs pick up on it. And remember, it's not always just scent, which it predominantly is. Correct. But they read body language. Yes. They are professionals. They're reading body language, tone of voice, which is what we utilize in training to help communicate better <clears throat> communicate better with the dogs and the things that we need for them to do for us, so they understand. <laughs> so, so, the same is true when someone is depressed; their their whole demeanor changes. The dog recognizes that, and the dog tries to interrupt and. You know, bring them out of that, redirect them
2: from that. I guess that PTSD one of the one of the one of the exhibitions of it, especially in veterans, is wanting to end the suffering. At some point, the suffering of post traumatic stress disorder is well, maybe I should just end it all. And I, obviously, that's where the suicide attempts come from, and mm-hmm. the unfortunate successful ones. When you're teaching a dog to look for these signs, obviously when you pair them with an individual who has identified to you as a service agency, I've already tried this, do they try to reenact how they're feeling at the time for the dog? Do they do something to help teach the dog what that's going to feel like or look like for them individually? Well, actually
0: for the people that we work with, it's kind of a downward spiral There's a lot of things in their life that become so problematic that they haven't been able to change or find the support that it takes to help them lead a more normal, uh, dignified, independent life. So all those things come spiraling down uh, until they hit rock bottom. And what I mean by that is in in people, for example, with post-traumatic stress, Um, they have panic attacks, flashbacks, flashouts, uh, serious nightmares, things like that that are horrific. The dogs can pick up on those scents. We do train the dogs on those scents because we do know their chemistry is out of bounds during those episodes. And so by teaching the dogs to react when they pick up on those scents, we can redirect those people from – Going full blown into those issues. We also not just pair the dog with the individual, but we actually integrate them back into public because in many cases they have um, totally um, gone into seclusion. Right, So. It's a process. And once you become so secluded and you have alienated your family, your friends, um, you feel like there is no future. You can't get past these horrible, repetitive things. And, you know, it's not always just PTSD either. Um, It may be somebody with a severe uh, epileptic condition or diabetic condition. I mean, we, we deal with a lot of different things. Um, Even somebody with mobility issues, they they start feeling so inept that they have to ask a family member to do everything for them, or they can't. I mean, we've had people with such severe seizure conditions that they can't even cook at home, do their dishes, shower by themselves—nothing without a family member there. So. Don't you public doesn't always realize how very severe some of these conditions can be and how catastrophic the events are that they suffer through. But by having a service dog that can alert to these things in advance, something a caregiver can't even do in many cases, um, then it starts to complete their life again, starts to give them their life back. We call it a new normal. And so um, in the 12 years we've been doing this and we've got, hundreds and hundreds of teams working across the country, knock on wood, we have never had a suicide, which is pretty amazing. I don't want to be naive enough to think we'll never have one, um, but
2: we're just so humbled by what these dogs can do in giving people their lives back. It is it is really humbling and and marvelous to have received that Suicide Prevention Award, because as you say, it honors the, the dogs. It honors the usefulness, the 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 power of dogs in the industry who've been properly trained. We've we've discussed in other shows uh, fraudulent groups that claim to train dogs, and really they're just um, preying on people's vulnerability and needs. They they may not be they may not be training those dogs in any useful way at all. But something I'd I'd like to say before we talk for a, a minute about public attitudes, the John Q. public attitude about suicide, is that I do notice that every time there's an article about someone who has died by suicide, and the family or others have identified that's how they died, rather than the kind of vague, no reason given. It always says at the end of the article, if you're having suicidal thoughts or need help, there's a national suicide prevention line. And so I'm saying that because Apparently, if somebody who's having suicidal thoughts or self-harming thoughts listens to a conversation, we're just trying, Carol and I, and the media, I think in general, is trying to raise awareness and sensitivity and empathy and intervention. So there is a National Suicide Hotline that you can call. If you're listening to this and it makes you feel terrible or worse, or you wish you could have a guardian angel medical service dog but there isn't one by your side yet, you can apply to Guardian Angels Medical Service Dogs. These dogs are trained, highly trained, and eventually paired with you, and there is no cost to you. This is something really important to realize. This is not a for-profit organization. Carol, one thing that strikes me is that suicide seems to be both one of those topics that has come out of a dark place to talk about it, to be discussed, to be given awards, suicide prevention awards, to have it acknowledged, to have the people left behind, be have the courage and the strength to talk to the public, whether it's within their community, within their own family or beyond, about what happened because so often they weren't aware, unlike the guardian angel medical service dog who was aware because that was one of the re- reasons they were paired up. I, I wonder at it because I... I wonder why there's still this shame attached to suicide. I used to think it had to do with Catholicism or perhaps other religions where suicide is considered a horror, an evil. But for people who don't – haven't been trained to believe that by some some religious indoctrination, I I think of it as AIDS. When people were dying of AIDS and it was kept a secret because it was shameful to have been a homosexual or to have gotten AIDS – during encounters. Do you think that suicide is still considered something embarrassing or shameful and kept a secret? And maybe that makes it even harder and more isolating for those suffering from these thoughts. You know,
0: I think I'm going to even offer another twist on that. While all of that may be absolutely true. And of course, you know, religious beliefs as well. I think From people that I have known in the past that have suffered that in their own families, I think they feel terrible that they didn't realize it was going to happen, that they were unable to prevent it. And I think that might be uh, one of the reasons they don't talk about it. They, they didn't know how to fix it. They didn't know how to prevent it. So why should they go and talk about it? It feels right. terrible that it right. happened. And listen, it's very, very difficult. We go through suicide training every year to keep our staff fresh. And, um, you know, it, it is a very serious issue. We have had um, known of veterans. Veterans tell us stories about other veterans that they knew that committed suicide. It's very difficult on them. And they'll be you know, having a jam session, playing a guitar with, you know, one of their fellow veterans one week and the following week find out they committed suicide and they thought everything was fine. So people who are seriously committed to ending their life um, often are very good at covering it up as well. So the families feel so responsible that they weren't able to prevent it or do something about it. So I think that's part of why, People don't talk about it. It makes but they sense. You have the other group that does, and they do feel bad about it. But this is the action they take on it. And so, for us, as a service dog organization that specializes in a lot of these things, um, we we are not a cure, but we are a tremendous management tool. And like I said earlier, I'd be naive to think that we will never have a suicide. But, oh my gosh, I am so proud of my dogs for everything they have done for people
2: so far. It's amazing. And for the trust that those those recipients put in the dogs, so we can be proud of the people too because they've had the courage to ask for help and the yeah. courage to trust that dog to put their yeah. life really literally their life in the in the paws of that dog and taken the advice of the dog which is stop Stop yeah. doing that. Stop thinking that. Stop going to that dark place. Let's do something else. Let's just interrupt that behavior, redirect that behavior. It's a, it's, it's quite a, a teamwork. As you say, you have these teams across the country. I, I think that there seems to be a great deal of teen suicide or perhaps teen suicide is more talked about. Only very recently uh, read an obituary that didn't explain how the gal had had died, but it seemed pretty clear. A twenty-year-old star softball player in college, who was a national honor student, had just been voted most valuable player the week before. Had had some incredible game against other college teams. Imagine how her teammates must have felt. Here are all oh, these terrible young lot. ladies, and they're together, and they're team, and they're there for each other. It's just—it's very hard. There's a lot of a lot of pain and suffering going on, and as you say we so often we don't have any s- sign of it and i just hope that during mental health month those who can find ways to get support and help will reach out and ask for it and if the people around you someone around you seems to indicate to the best of your ability to to see through whatever shield they're putting up that they need some intervention Um, obviously it's not going to be enough time to get a medical service dog from guardian angels, but it's certainly something to think about depending on the severity and the longevity of the, of the situation. Carol, congratulations on winning the award. Congratulations on the great work you do every day. These amazing dogs and the people who give them a chance to shine both your, your team your, your staff, you, and of course the people and their families who welcome these dogs into their lives. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the guests as much as I did. Kiss your kitties and hug your pooches, and we will talk again next week. Bye for now.